Good morning. It is a great honor and pleasure to be with you this morning. The text of our message this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew and the 14th chapter, starting at verse 13. This is the account of the miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ that's commonly referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. Please turn there in your Bibles. And while you're turning there, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things. There are actually two different miraculous feedings in the Gospel. There is the feeding of the 5,000, which Lord willing we'll be looking at this morning, and there's also the feeding of the 4,000. And as we read through the Gospels, it's important for us not to confuse those things because they are two separate events. What's more, this miraculous feeding is not only found in the Gospel of Matthew, but it's also in Mark, Luke, and John. To see the same miracle covered by all four evangelists is actually something quite rare. This fact leads us to believe that there is something truly remarkable about this miracle of the Lord. So let's hear then this account before us in the Gospel of Matthew. Again, chapter 14, I'll be reading verses 13 through 21. Hear now the words of the living and true God. Now when Jesus heard this, that is, the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Let us pray together. O blessed Eternal One, Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we do call upon Your blessed name this morning that Your Holy Spirit may be with us, that You may be present with us, that we may even have a sense of Your presence with us, and that Your Spirit, O Lord, would illuminate our minds and press down Your Holy Word down into our hearts, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, 
For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, friends, do you ever hunger after the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to be filled by Him? In the beloved Beatitudes that we find in that well-known portion of Scripture that we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks to us. And He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Friends, are you hungry? Do you thirst after righteousness? I believe it was Augustine who said that there is a God-shaped void within each one of us. We are all born with some sense of this emptiness. Now, we can't often explain it. It's not so easy to put our finger on it. But we know it's real from our experience. There's a a longing, an achiness. It's a feeling of loneliness, but something even more essential than that. There is something missing down at the very core of our humanity. But it wasn't always like this. There was a time once when there was no God-shaped void in us because the Lord filled us. In the beginning, when God made all things, it was good. There was no death, no sorrow, no emptiness. And we had perfect communion with the Lord God. So what happened? Why do we have this God-shaped void within us now? It's because sin came into the world and broke our close communion with God. As we read in the Shorter Catechism, all mankind sinned in Adam and fell with him in his first transgression. The Lord, who is infinitely holy, left us because we became sinners. And so now, instead of seeking the Lord, We seek after our own inventions. And when the Lord God left us, He left behind that space, so to speak, that He once occupied. The void that He once filled. So now we all walk around with this this yearning to be filled again with God, our Maker. We were made to worship Him. But now that He is gone, there's this yearning in us. It's like, it's like a hunger that can never be satisfied. Jesus spoke in terms of this spiritual hunger. Of course, He gave us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which is a vivid and sensory sign of feeding on Him and being filled by Him. But even outside of the context of the supper, we read in the Scriptures Jesus speaking using this same metaphor. Listen to the words of John, rather of Christ, recorded in John in the sixth chapter. I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me also will live because of me. Now, of course, this talk, this speech of feeding on Christ is figurative and not to be taken literally. But isn't this a a beautiful image here? When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, doesn't it stir up that hunger for him inside of you? Or when he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven, doesn't don't those words draw you to the Lord Jesus? It is God's Spirit who moves us in this way. I want to be fed by Christ. I want to be filled with Him. And so as we wind our way back to our passage, which is about a feeding, a miraculous feeding, by the Lord Jesus, we come to a statement that He put to His disciples, which they must have thought of at the time as being quite puzzling. When the disciples told Jesus that it was late and He should send away the multitudes so they could go into the villages and buy food for themselves, Jesus said, They need not go away. They need not go away. What? No need? If we wait any longer to to dismiss the people, they might faint on their way back home. How can the Lord say, they need not go away? It is because, as we shall see in the passage, the people were hungry And Jesus was going to feed them. And secondly, it's because the people sought after Christ and He was going to satisfy them. And so first, the people were hungry and He was going to feed them. But before we explore this first consideration, I want to explain to you the immediate context of our passage here. We'll begin with the question. How did it come about that so many people were gathered around Jesus? Mark, the Gospel of Mark, though it's the shortest Gospel, may offer the most detail here. The twelve disciples had just returned after being sent out on a missionary journey by the Lord, and the Lord wanted them to rest. As we read in the parallel passage here in Mark chapter 6, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Though there were many coming and going, they did not even have time to eat, if you can imagine that. So we read, they departed to a deserted place in the boat, by themselves. 
Now, in the Greek, the word deserted may also be rendered as desolate, as we have here in the English Standard Version, or it can mean remote or uninhabited. So by the word deserted, we must not picture in our minds here the hot sandy dunes of a desert. In his commentary at this place in Matthew, J.A. Alexander writes about this area where the miracle took place, and he says, this is not a barren waste. Most probably, it is an untilled pasture ground. Indeed, John tells us in his parallel account that the annual feast of the Passover was at hand. So, this miracle probably took place in the springtime when the land was typically refreshed with rain. We are also told by John that there was much grass in the place. And Mark even adds this little detail that the grass was green. But why did Jesus decide to go to this solitary place? Well, as we just read, he wanted for his disciples to rest. But also, we read in our passage here in Matthew that when Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist, he decided to depart in a boat. After the beheading of John, a sense of danger may have lingered in the air. As the Dutch annotations put it, going to a desolate place may be a way to avoid danger, seeing that the Lord's hour had not yet come. And perhaps Jesus recognized in John's death a turning point in his own earthly life and ministry. The beheading of John signaled the approach of the Lord's own sacrifice on the cross. Next, we read in Mark's account, But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot, from all the cities. Now perhaps you're asking yourself, how could the people follow on foot if the Lord and his disciples traveled by boat? Well, again, the Dutch annotations, I think, are helpful here. We read, For Christ was not passed unto the other side of the sea, but over a bay, abiding on the same side where they could follow him by foot. Now, I hope I have not been too tedious, but I felt like it's important for you to understand what's going on in the narrative at this point. And so we come to our first consideration as to why the Lord Jesus told his disciples they need not go away. It's because the people were hungry, and the Lord knew he was going to feed them in a miraculous way. Recall once again the scene. It was late. It was very late. The disciples were tired and perhaps a bit anxious. So they came to Jesus with a practical solution. Send the multitudes away so they can return to the villages and go to the shops and buy food for themselves. There's no shop in this remote place. Then Jesus tells the disciples, 
you give them something to eat. They, now these words must have seemed like madness to the disciples. What? All we have here are five loaves and two fish. The disciples had made no plan ahead of time to feed such a multitude of people. How absurd! There are 5,000 men here, not even counting the women and the children. But their response will underscore the miracle which Jesus is about to perform. Yes, Jesus is challenging their faith. At another place, he admonishes them, If you have faith and do not doubt, and you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Indeed, remember, they just returned from a missionary trip, and they not only preached repentance, but they also, we read in the Scripture, cast out many demons and healed many who were sick. And so Jesus says, you give them something to eat. But like us, their faith was too weak. At the same time, Jesus, as that good and great shepherd, was teaching his under-shepherds that they must learn to care for his sheep. And the Lord is also teaching them that without him, there can be no ministry to his people. So he says, bring them, that is, the loaves and the fish, here to me. Then Jesus commanded the people to sit down on the grass. Presumably, this was done so that the food may be distributed in an orderly fashion. But doesn't that remind you of Psalm 23 that we just sang? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Next, Jesus looks up to heaven and prays to bless the food. And perhaps this will also remind you of how the Lord taught his disciples, our Father who is in heaven. Jesus then broke the bread and gave portions for his disciples to serve the people. And as it turns out, it is as if the disciples gave something for the people to eat after all, because they served and distributed the food. But then without Christ, they could do nothing. Also, I want you to think about this. How pleasant it must have been after seeing Jesus heal many who were sick and hearing him teach to relax and sit down, or as the original language has it, to recline, to recline in the grassy field. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Resting in the green grass, hearing the children laugh and play as they run around as children will always do, and watching the disciples going from one group to the next, serving everyone from baskets overflowing with bread and fish. 
Friends, whenever we feed on what Jesus offers to us, we will be satisfied. Do you remember the wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee? The master of the feast told the bridegroom, you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus doesn't simply perform a miracle, so to speak, but he does everything unto excellence. I'd like to suggest to you that that bread and fish must have been very delicious. Next, we read in our account that they all ate and were filled. So it's not just that some people ate, but they all ate. And no one ate just enough to get by so they could get back home again. But they all ate until they were completely satisfied. We should not think anything different so as to minimize this miracle of the Lord Jesus. And we know there was a great abundance of food because what remained was so much greater than what they began with. Though they started with just five loaves of bread and two fish, Imagine that. But we read that there was so much food left over that when the disciples collected it, there was a total of 12 baskets full of fragments of food. Such was the outpouring of Christ's blessing. However, there is one thing in our interpretation that we should be on guard against. What about the number of baskets? You know, there are 12 baskets. What does that mean? My friends, a plain narrative in the account, in the Gospels, is not the place to look for some mystical meaning about the number 12. We should not be looking for secret codes in the Scripture. One commentary I came across said that the 12 baskets were, quote, likely symbolic that Jesus has come to give a full blessing upon Israel. Now, Israel, in a sense, there's 12 tribes of Israel, so there's 12 baskets of food. My friends, I don't see any warrant for taking such a view given the literary context that we have here of a plain narrative. Evidently, the intent of the Holy Spirit when he indicted the word here was to give the number of baskets to show the great abundance of food which Jesus miraculously gave to the people. And if the number has any correlation to the number of Christ's disciples, it would only be because each one of them grabbed a basket and went to collect the food. This is the point. The point is how miraculous it is for Jesus to make such a great abundance of food out of so little. The point is, is that this miracle, like all the miracles of the Lord Jesus, is intended to testify who He is. He indeed is the Messiah prophesied to come. He indeed is the Christ. The God-man came to be a, a ransom for many. And remember, there is a great number of people here. 
5,000 men. And when their wives and children are considered, the number could easily be doubled to 5,000. What a a remarkable miracle this was indeed. And so why would Jesus send them away when he was going to feed all of them? And so he said, they need not go away. And so we come to our, to our second consideration as to why Jesus said this. It's because the people sought after Jesus. They earnestly sought after him, and he was going to satisfy them. How can the people be asked to go away when not only was Jesus going to fill their bellies, but he also was going to warm their hearts? We are also told from our account in Matthew that Christ healed their sick. Indeed, some who were sick followed after Jesus with hopeful anticipation. As we read in the parallel place in John, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Mark tells us that many knew him. That is, they recognized Jesus and heard about his miraculous healings. Imagine how their healing must have given them a feeling of renewal. No aches, no pains, no suffering. You might even say there were some who were given a foretaste, and I underscore that word foretaste, of what it will be like in their future resurrected bodies. Now, this healing must have completed their experience on that day. That feeling of bodily wholeness, while at the same time being fed by Christ both physically and spiritually. My friends, are you as eager to find Jesus as these people were? Listen again from the Scripture what these people did. We read in the parallel passage in Mark, they arrived before them and came together to him. Do you understand what Mark is saying here? A boat was the quicker way to get to the desolate place, but these people rushed on foot, evidently running most of the way, because this crowd of people got to the other side of the bay before Jesus and his disciples arrived in their boat. And imagine how the news about Jesus spread by word of mouth and all the commotion it caused. The air must have been electrified with excitement. As we read in the Westminster Annotations at this place, note their zeal. They go as soon as they hear he was gone. They go a great way about on foot, leaving businesses, families, and cities of good accommodation to follow Christ in the desert places. The multitudes ran hard after Jesus because they wanted to find him. 
What do you think it would have been like for you if you had gone out with them? Rushing along with a crowd of people away from your home and from the villages that you live in, leaving them behind, just to be with Jesus. My brothers and sisters, do you have that same kind of desire to commune with Christ that they did? Or has your Christian faith become just a matter of fact? And your Christian profession just a routine that you go through in your life? Where is your desire for Christ? Have you, have I, forgotten our first love? As the Lord wrote to the church of Ephesus, after saying all these positive things about them, He says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You see, those who hunger for Christ are willing to go out of their way to find Him. They want Jesus to receive them, to heal them, to feed them. And then we read back in our passage that when Jesus went out, that is, when He came out of the boat, He saw a great multitude and He was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. And we read also in the parallel place of Mark that He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The phrase in verse 14 where we read that Jesus was moved with compassion actually comes from a single Greek word, splonchnizomai. His compassion, the Lord's compassion, was not some sort of sentimental, superficial feeling. According to Bollinger in the Greek, the term here means to feel the bowels yearn. That's what it means in the Greek. And so it's rendered to be moved with compassion or with pity. So just as the people yearn eagerly for Christ, He yearned in pity for them as sheep without a shepherd. And this is not the only place in the Gospels where this word compassion is used in connection with Christ's identity as the Good Shepherd. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew we read, But when Jesus saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. My brothers and sisters and friends, this seated compassion of the Lord is a characteristic of Him which He still has even now in glory. This compassion demonstrates the love that He has for His people as He accomplishes the redemption. Returning to the parallel count of Mark, as soon as we read that Jesus was moved with compassion 
we read, so he began to teach them many things. Isn't it interesting that the first thing that Jesus does to demonstrate his compassion is he begins to teach the people. As we also read from the parallel account in Luke, he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And just to be clear, although Jesus had compassion on them all, we must not assume that they were all of the elect. In fact, we read of a mixed response. There are some, as we read in the parallel account in John, believed and testified, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, this is an allusion to that prophecy of Moses which was well known by the Jews. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, we read, And the Lord said to me, that is Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brethren, and I will put words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This text was commonly understood by the Jews as foretelling of the Messiah. But then there were others. On the other hand, as we read that on the next day, there were people who searched for Jesus, and when they found him, Jesus told them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. So, after the people saw Jesus so diligently, and after Jesus was moved with compassion, and since He was, He taught and He healed them, then why should He send the people away? They do not need to go away. My friends, Allow me to ask you again. Do you ever hunger after the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to be filled by Him? That God-shaped void in us can only be filled, and that hunger and thirst after righteousness can only be satisfied by the triune God of the Scripture through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, believe in Jesus and trust in Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for your salvation. For there is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. What would Jesus say to you? Would He say to you, you do not need to go away. But don't you see, He cannot say that to you unless you are already with Him in fellowship with the Lord. And what do we say to those who do not care to find Jesus? To those who have no desire to run after Him and could not care less to be with Him? Friends, does that describe you? But the Lord Jesus will not turn away anyone who earnestly seeks Him. Friends, seek the Lord while He may be found. 
Call upon Him while He is near. Because once you find Jesus, He will not send you away. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, what a blessed Savior we have in the Lord Jesus. He is the source of eternal life. When Jesus asked His disciples, will you two go away? Peter said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us, O Lord, to seek You and having found You, to cling to You, to cleave to You. Renew, O Lord, that fellowship between, between us and, between, and with You. O Lord, take away all those things which stand in the way, all the obstacles, so many obstacles, temptation and sin. But we cling to that promise in the Word of God that if we confess our sin, You are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, this is our prayer. Give us Your Spirit that we may pray it from our hearts. And now, Lord, we pray that you be with us in the remainder of this service and throughout this Christian Sabbath. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.